Vita, good afternoon. Mr. Ben Yosef, how are you? How are you, Lita? Good to see you. I um, knew you're going to sit in the most beautiful boardroom in Amsterdam. So I had to upgrade my game because my office <laughs> in the Van Balestad, you know, is the uh, size of a stamp full of vaults. So my friends across the street at the Conservatorium Hotel were so kind to let me use a junior suite so that's what you see behind me oh, nice 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 contemporary so this is a shout out to our friends um this is the room i'm actually sitting in um so this is a little shout out to them and we actually upgraded our game our ace concierge service teamed up with their concierge service so any dutch viewers that want to do a staycation contact us for an ace corporate rate and those that are able to travel from abroad to Amsterdam, send us a message as well. We'll hook you up. We'll connect you to the conservatorium and you can experience this five-star plus luxury hotel yourself. It is absolutely so, stunning. So uh, this is hashtag ad. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so Lita, we did a amazing session with your younger brother, Mike, episode three. I've seen awesome it, yes. I'm super excited to have you here because actually it's very weird that the jewelry industry is full of men. Girls run the world. Yeah, I, I, I had this question, uh, discussion as well with somebody from the Young Demon Devs group and I said, it's not true. I mean, there's designers, there's a lot of people working in the sales, retail sales, there is marketing people. I think it's just the Diamantaires that is a bit more boys world, but I think there's lots of women here. So I'm super excited to have you because you're actually the first female guest on the Ace List Live. Oh, my God. So, so we, we need to discuss that topic as well. But please, you give me a short introduction about you. Me, me, me. Um, Lita Asher, sixth generation of the Asher family. And um, together with my brother, Mike, uh, we run Royal Asher Diamond Company uh, globally. Um, I'm specifically um, focused on the U.S. market for the last 15 years. Lived in New York for about 15 until about March this year. And, uh, unfortunately, haven't been back. Um, but uh, for the rest, I am part of the... Um, one of my responsibilities here is overseeing uh, our design uh, departments, uh, creating all the different designs and collections for the different worlds and the different retailers. Um, and a lot of the marketing uh, goes past me. So, um, yeah, as my brother is more focused on creating gorgeous Path of the Diamond Cuts, uh, I work a lot on uh, putting them into beautiful jewelry and selling them to retailers that get excited customers in their store to buy them. Like, like you. Us. yeah. So let's get this off the table. Everybody thinks that uh, Mike is the elder one. He just turned 40 last week. You look 27, but you are actually the older one, right? I am. I'm 43. So uh, Mike is uh, my little brother, as I call him. Yeah, yeah. So he's your baby brother. Awesome. And um, but I like when people say that. Pardon? <laughs> I like when people say that, that I'm the younger one, but most people think we're twins. They usually call us the Asher twins. That's funny. That's yeah. funny. That's good, though. Um, and tell me a bit, where, where are you sitting right now? Uh, 
So you are this one, yeah, I'm in our headquarters in Amsterdam in the Tolstraat. And uh, um, I don't know if you can see this. I can go a little bit up, but there are my great grandfathers, all five generations. Um, and so this is our sort of our boardroom uh, private office where we've had uh, lots of royal visitors, heads of state, um, all the pictures behind me uh, show that. And it's just a really special room, you know, you always feel like there are six generations at the same time here. Uh, so whenever I go visit Mike and Lita and also their dad, um, we sit in that room and it's, it's amazing. It, it brings legacy and history. Um, so for those that missed the episode with Mike, um, we at Ace love, love, love Asher, the Royal Asher brand, the Asher family members. Uh, the ties run deep and long because Mike and I are childhood friends and Lita was the big sister that we looked up to. Um, and I still look up to you, Lita, just so you know. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and um, so, so we've been doing business actually since 2003. Mike and I were actually rookies. I had the honor to do business with your dad, both your dad and uh, amazing guy. Learned a lot from him still till and today. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so that's amazing. And, and you were abroad a long time. We've always been in touch. And it's actually, uh, and in 2007, we actually became family members. I told in the, in the chat with Mike because your second cousin is my sister-in-law. And it's a funny story because whenever in the family, my we cousin, she's not my second cousin. She's my cousin. Yeah, actually she is. Yeah. Because when we speak about Lita in the family, we always get confused. We talk, which Lita? Because my sister-in-law's grandma, your dad's sister is also Lita. Yes. So, yes. So, I'm named after her. And it used to be um, big Lita and small Lita. Yeah. Um, but now I'm taller than she is, so she doesn't like the idea that I'm young Lita and she's old Lita. So we're just Lita, and it's just confusing. Yeah, so we call her Oma Lita. Yeah. Because my nephew and nieces, for her, yeah. them, they're Oma Lita. So I also call her Oma Lita. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so, okay. so uh, Lita, the tradition is to start with a wrist check if we I talk to watch brands and a jewelry check if I speak to jewelry brands. So. Lita, what are you wearing today? Please share. What am I wearing? Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, jewelry, let's think. So I have these really beautiful inside-out hoops with Royal Archer Brilliance that are yeah. my push presents, which I love these things. Um, and I'm wearing the choker for my DNA collection, which yeah. I think works with everything. Also brilliant cut? Uh, yeah, these are just uh, small round diamonds. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'm wearing my ring and my watch and my bracelets and my favorite my stars ring yes and that's what you see on the background that's the stars ring which we love i posted on my instagram this morning it brings back fond childhood memories so i want to talk about that later yeah um, especially the design process how you guys came up with this pattern design and the charity you guys linked to that so you look ravishing as usual, Lita. Thank you. So, thank you. For men, it's a bit boring. I did this with Mike. I always wear my wedding band. If I wear a gold watch, I wear my pink gold ring. If I wear steel watches, I wear my platinum ring. Since oh, we're nice. the generation of heritage, I am wearing my 1950 gold chronograph made by Beaumontier. And I have cufflinks 
whenever I suit up, I still wear cufflinks. And I can get stars cufflinks, can't I? I wanted you to say, also think of men. Cufflinks. We need to get you new cufflinks. Always selling, right? Always selling. That's the New York style. Well, we try. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Should we start with the seven the aceless questions? Sure. First one. What's watch or and jewel is your favorite and why? Ooh. Um well the watch I love, I have that um uh, Bulgari Serpenti. Yeah. Uh, and it's sort of a jewel and a watch at the same time. Um and it has some diamonds on it as well. And it's just like no not everybody knows the, the watch or the brand, right? Even people that don't know it on the street stop you and are like, that's such a cool watch. I love it. And I, I love that watch. I really wear it a lot. Um, and my favorite jewel, I have to say though, I, I have lots of great stuff, but um, the stars, um, and I'll show it. I don't know if you can see it, but they move, these diamonds move. And what's it's it's just you know I still today when I'm working and the sun hits it then suddenly it starts moving and I'm like distracted and playing with it because it's sort of like a little snow globe and you know even when you drive your car and suddenly it hits it you have to be careful not to hit anything because it's just it it's true it's just mesmerizing and it's so great and um, yeah I still love this piece. You're being very modest. Um, when you guys created that ring, if I'm not mistaken, seven years ago? I think it's even longer. Right? Yeah. Longer already? Yeah. yeah. So it's, it became an icon already. Past a decade, it becomes an icon. You guys, Mike showed me the prototype back in the day. And uh, I was blown away because who doesn't like snow domes, right? And what you guys created, and it's the first ever piece done in the jewelry industry is a gold ring, sapphire ball, 25 or 50 brilliant cut diamonds that float in a liquid. And that was maybe the most difficult part besides coming up with the idea, obviously, is to get that patent liquid to keep it, the liquidity, right? The fluidity and yeah. the color. Yeah. Stable, right? Our, our, our secret recipe is silicone. Mm. And I always try to say we found a better way to use it. But not all men agree with me. Uh, but I do agree with the you. nice thing about silicone is that it has different densities. And yeah. so while we were um, creating this product, uh, product um, it took us a very long time to come up with the final product because it was a lot of trial and error and things went right and wrong. But what's great about silicone is that it has different densities. So we could sort of um, test out how fast it would sort of swim through there. And you don't want it to be too slow, but you also don't want it to be like a snow globe where it's like this. And, um, and it stays beautiful. And, um, you know, we've worked with different companies to really come up to the perfect piece. And actually, at this point, the globe is made by a Swiss watch manufacturer. Okay. Because it had to be um, watertight, right? And, um, and so they created a special way to put the globe on the bottom uh, so that the liquid wouldn't go out and all that great stuff. So it's 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 a pretty technical product uh, and it ends up uh, being very pretty. 
Yeah, which you guys have pendants. You created, I remember you created the double bowl. Yeah, we have the, the globe. That has double dome. Yeah, long pendant. That's a, that's a cool pendant. I love it. You made cufflinks for men. So what yeah. was the what was the spark that triggered for you to come up with this idea over a decade Honestly, ago? Honestly, it was actually my father. Um, Edward went to the MoMA in New York, the Modern Museum of Modern Arts, and um, there was this plastic ring with water and glitters, and he brought it home. And, you know, I said, we both looked at each other and we said, how cool would it be to make a ring that actually looks like this? And I remember uh, my uncle Yop saying, like, you're crazy. And, but uh, it took us a long time, but it, it ended up really nice. And that, but that's how it all started, you know? Yeah, awesome. with a little plastic thingy. And I think we bought many of those plastic rings at the MoMA afterwards just to give away as presents to press and all that stuff. So, yeah, yeah, cool. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that with us. Second question is, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be an architect. I wanted to be an architect and then an interior decorator. And then I think I really liked to be a doctor and it was a little bit of everything, but I didn't like blood. So that was gone. And, uh, the architect, uh, uh, I, I don't know if you know this, but I actually started my career at Dell computer, I remember. Uh, selling computers. Um, and that was a lot of fun. And so I built their whole intranet during my studies uh, together with two other people. Um, it was very nice. Um, but when I was really little, I think architect was my big, big dream. I always say that jewelry designers and goldsmiths are actually architects. Architect. Yeah. I mean, jewels are miniature yeah. buildings, sculptures. Well, especially when you see now today with all the 3D cards and drawings and, and printing and everything we can do. It really is amazing what you can do with it. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure I had that in mind when I was little, but yeah. Yeah, so you're kind of an architect, aren't you? Yeah. Well, and and, you, and you're using your, your Dell knowledge because you are responsible for all the tech and e-com, right, on your end? Yeah, you know, it's funny because we spoke about this earlier as well. Like I graduated in web advertising 100 years ago. I mean, nothing of that thing exists anymore, <laughs> you know, so it's kind of funny. Um, yeah, but they're stepping stones, right, to what you are today and what you do today. Yeah, yeah. And actually, honestly, I just uh, started this course at um, London Business School also about uh, SEO and uh, social media marketing, because I think it's something uh, developing yourself and making sure you keep connected to what, what is important today is just really yeah. important. And, um, yeah. and it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Who is your role model is the third question. <laughs> Yeah, I saw my brother's answer and I was like, it's so boring, but it's so true. I mean, um, I think m both my parents are really big role models for us just because they both have had such a um, passion for what they've done and what they're still doing today. And I think that is what is the biggest thing in that, that should be the biggest thing in anybody's life, you know, and, and being... Um, being able to have a passion and finding your passion and then going for it, I think is what uh, what I am yeah, most proud of when I look at my own parents. Um, 
and I hope to become that for my kids as well. But, uh, you know, I think my mom, I shouldn't say this, but my mom's 75 now and she still has such passion for what she does and she still works and she's still so good at it. It comes up with these new concepts and it's just incredible. So, um, yeah, that is my boring, but true answer. It's not boring. I mean, I, I think that's the most amazing thing that you have your parents, right? That, that are your role models and we're both, uh, young parents, you and I, uh, as in we have young kids and you're an amazing mom because I know how much time you spend with your kids. I mean, you were when you became a mom flying back and forth like crazy. So I think that was one of the questions that came in. How do you balance private and work life? So let's discuss that later. Um, question for you guys. And I, I know it's a rhetorical question because I know the answer, but our viewers don't. Was it expected of you guys as the sixth generation? to go into the company? You know, that's a big question, the expecting part. Um, mm. I remember that I always wanted to become part of the company, but I always felt that um, I first had to know everything there was to know, and then I would start working with Royal Asher, right? And I think the day I started here was the day I realized that that day was never gonna come and that we learned our whole life, you know? And, and so, um, I do remember that when I started, I said to my father, I said, does this mean I have to work here for the rest of my life? And he looked at me, he started laughing and he says, well, maybe you should first find out if you like it, you know? And, uh, you know, we're a couple of years further. But now. there was never peer pressure, right? Because in your household, you grew up three siblings. Yeah, uh, and we, you know, everybody has their own passion. So I think if you don't have the passion to do what we do today and and what's really nice as well i think for us is that we've become our own humans uh, our, our own how do you say it we've become our own uh, role in this company not by you have to do this but mm. just like okay where do you fit best and what do you do mm. best and and mike and i are very lucky in the fact that uh, 80 percent of what i do is not what he does right mm. because that's not his passion and the yeah, other way around yeah, so that's very, but no, we've never had anybody say like, you know, I think it's the same in my own family now, um, you know, when my partner says like, okay, are our kids gonna take over my company or yours, you know? Yeah, and it's yeah, like, yeah. Well, what do you want? They want to, maybe they wanna become a singer or whatever they wanna do, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so no peer pressure on your end, right? No, no, no. Okay, cool, yeah. amazing. Fourth question, if you could teleport tomorrow, where would you go? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really cool question. But honestly, um, I haven't been, so, so up till March, we as a family lived in New York for about five months a year. Yeah. So we would go there for about six weeks and then we would come back here for two months and then we'll do that over and over again with our kids. And um, they're not going to school yet so that we were still able to do that. Um, so I miss New York immensely so if i could teleport and that means like i don't need to go through customs then i would go to new york <laughs> tomorrow yeah. which is yeah. new amsterdam right so uh they're yeah. all ties yeah. and 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 mike said that japan is maybe the strongest market i think it competes heads-on with north america right well i think it's it's a little different in japan we've been for over 60 years now, right? So we have an incredible partner there with an amazing presence of retailers that sell the Royal Asher brand. We have our own flagship stores. 
So it's really a mature market for us and a very important one. Um, in America, um, we sort of changed from working with a lot of the independent retailers to really choosing to work with a large retailer. Mm-hmm. And so we're very fortunate to just have launched last week with Jared. Um, Jared is uh, uh, part of the Signet Group. They have about uh, 375 stores and they're independent stores next to malls. They're beautiful. They're very, um, they're pretty high end, which really fits who we are. And we're doing really well there. So um, our North American market is a little less mature. Um, the other side of the medallion is that 50% of the diamonds in the world are sold in America. So it is a very big market. Um, and we hope to be more and more part of that. But, uh, yeah. Because, because in the US, every, anyways, anybody in the trade knows an Asher cut. But consumers are so well educated that whenever we cater to North American consumers, you don't need yeah. to explain to them fancy cuts, and especially not an Asher cut, and even a royal patent Asher cut. Yeah. So, whereas in Europe, you need to explain there are there's a world out there besides brilliant, right? Round cuts. So yeah. that's amazing. And Mike told us the story when uh, your dad was walking at a convention in the 80s or something. Uh, that they came up to him when they saw his name tag and they're like, oh, are you the Usher of the Usher cut? So that's an amazing story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't make up these stories. What's exciting as well is that we now not only have the Royal Usher cut, which is, of course, the square cut, but we also have the round, the cushion, and the oval. So there's Royal Usher ovals and cushions and rounds also at Jared's. We have four patterns of diamond cuts now. And that, I think, is the difference between now and about uh, 10 years ago, because it means that we are able to offer the consumer really an array of beautiful diamonds. And the difference between ours and others, sometimes, I don't know how to say that without sounding like a Pepsi-Cola with the commercial, uh, but is that fancy shapes um, are often very differently cut. So it's very difficult to find a perfectly cut oval all the time or a perfectly cut cushion all the time because there's cushions in every sort of variation you can think of. And so what's really great for retailers as well and for consumers is that you know that if you buy one of the Royal Usher patented diamonds, you get that quality. You really get that beautiful stuff. I want to jump in, Jim, because you're you're seeing something ultra important. What I always tell my customers is people are blinded by carrot, but carrot is one of the big parameters to decide the value or importance of a diamond. There may be four, five, six very important that have a lot of weight, and then you have even more parameters that decide the total price. With fancy cuts, especially if you go rectangular, oval, or pear-shaped, symmetry is very important. So for the light, but also proportions, if you look at the golden ratio, right? And that's what you're referring at, aren't you, Lita? So... And, and, and yeah. there are a lot of ratios, and usually we say 1 to 105 if you talk about square, because square is never really square. With you guys, yeah. it is. Art. With you guys, it is. And that's yeah. what I try to explain to my consumers. So uh, yeah. it's a big, big I, I also think that I don't want people to become too technical, right? Because sometimes people come into your store and they say, I want a 60, 60% this and the blah, blah, mm-hmm. and an XX. And, and they really don't look at stones anymore. They just uh, look at technical details. And I think that 
one of the most important things is you have to fall in love with this diamond, right? Yeah. So if you okay. have two stones that are exactly the same in color and carrot in a triple excellent cut or whatever, um, you're still going to like one more than another. And I try to explain it to people and say, the fact that you your girlfriend is blonde doesn't mean you like all blonde women, right? And that's the same well, with the diamond. Yeah, yeah, it's a product of nature, you know. We, yeah, we yeah. bring you something true and real, and yeah. um, and I think that when you come to these details of our patterns, we're so strict at these parameters that you just don't have to think about that anymore. And that and and you'll see it. But you know, that's just very nice because it just becomes a gorgeous stone. Yeah, oh. you're so so right. Each diamond is unique. Natural diamonds, they come out of the earth. They have their own DNA, like a fingerprint. No diamond is alike. So yeah. I totally agree with you. And it's an emotion. You either love it yeah. or you don't. And you should follow your gut feeling. So I agree. Well yeah. said. Fifth question. What book are you currently reading? None. I have a one and a three-year-old. But you're not catching many flights, so. I, uh, I, yeah, I don't fly anymore either, so that doesn't work. Um, yeah. I have this book on my nightstand, though, that I want to read, uh, and it's called Rotham, and it's about Hillary Clinton and about what would have happened to her if she wouldn't have married Bill Clinton. I haven't started it yet, but I just thought it was so fascinating. Let's speculate. Whole, let's speculate. Of that. So let's speculate. Do you think that her being a president candidate is the fact that she was first lady? Or do you think that if we follow the analogy of the book that she would have made it on her own? It's a very difficult question to answer, you know? I think For it, our it, viewers. Yeah. I, uh, maybe, maybe, because she it's has, a little- She has less, the pedigree, doesn't she? Yeah, a little less weighing on her shoulders of what was going on then. Uh, I, uh, respect these women in politics that get that far, even though she didn't become it. I mean, that's just impressive. Uh, looking at other women in politics is just incredible. What I I like the idea of this book. Like, what if you know? Yeah. 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 Well, Interesting. You know, maybe she would have married somebody else, and it was a whole other story. Yeah. Yeah. Crossroads. Rodham. All right. Yeah. Thank you for that screen. That's the book, guys. Yeah. Um, sixth question, which I love, and I, I love asking this designers, and especially jewelry designers, what do you think is going to be the, the color for 2021? Yeah, I read these questions beforehand, and I was like, okay, what do I think, or what is it going to be? And uh, I'm excited to say that the color of 2021 is aqua, right? And it is one of my favorite colors. I think aqua as a gemstone is gorgeous. Um, I once made a royal usher aqua uh, and had it cut for my mother and put it in a beautiful ring. Uh, so I love that. Um, so I don't think it it is going to be the color of 2021. So if you think that's going to happen, are you going to incorporate that in next year's jewels? Because you guys do less and less in gemstones, right? You did. Yeah. There was a period you guys did. Mike told us that you guys 
basically went back and concentrate on diamonds, natural diamonds. Yeah. Do you think about these things? Because I did say you guys do experiment a lot with colors because you were one of the first to make ceramic rings and jewels. Yeah. In the so I, I think there's two different right. things, right? That there's do you do things like we've we've created royal usher cut sapphires in the past. Yeah. So sapphires cut into our own patented diamond cut. Um, I think that was really exciting, but um, it's it's we're a small family business, and I think you have to do what you're really good at, mm -hmm. and that is diamonds. And so when I look at jewelry design, however, then that's a different question, right? Do you use new colors of gold? Do you use ceramic or enamel on certain pieces that can have some kind of color to it? And I think yeah. um, the answer to that is uh, yes, we do look at those kind of colors. Um, and one of the things that we did do is for the stars, we've created some pieces that have pink sapphires mixed with diamonds or blue sapphires mixed with diamonds. Um, you know, for example, for the cufflinks, those are really nice with blue cuff uh, uh, sapphires and diamonds in it because it gives a little bit more of a, of a different feel to that piece. Um, so, you know, when I look at the color of the year, I think you can always incorporate it in, in different ways, whether that is in your jewels or in your marketing, right? In the way you make things feel, the backgrounds, the photographs, the flowers, the, you name it. Um, so there's definitely a, a use for it. Um, but you have to be careful that you don't become uh, a slave of everything that is going on, right? Mm -hmm. You have to have your own identity. And, um, and Mike and I have said to each other, like, we have to focus on the things we feel are most important, which is our yeah. diamond cuts, our bridal line, and our diamond jewelry. Um, yeah. And that's what we do now. Yeah. And a uh, bonus question for you. What diamond color is your your personal favorite? D. Yeah. The D. Color. Uh, you know, I, I, I think that there's people that like a D-color and there's people that like a more tinted color diamond when it comes to white stones. I love DEF colors because I think you can see it coming from very far away much more than whether it's a higher clarity or stuff like that. Um, so I, when I had these made, um, I literally was like, I want only one D-color diamond. Um, when it comes to fancy color diamonds, I think, you know, um, yeah, you know, the stuff I really would like that is impossible, <laughs> you know, there's this amazing auction coming again from the pink uh, tender in Australia. It's the last year this year, and we just received um, the invite for it, for the coming to see these stones. And I mean, they have 65 stones ranging from red, darkest purple, light purple, but also violet blue, so gorgeous. But you know, I'm I'm not gonna own a $5 million stone with half a carat center, you know, that's yeah. not crazy not what we do. But yeah. uh, it's amazing what modern nature gives us. It's truly impressive. It is so, uh, my father and my brother have a true passion for colored diamonds. So yeah. you always be careful what they come home with. Uh, when they find something they really love, but it is unbelievable what comes out of this earth. And I've once I've seen 
was in New York and I was at uh, another diamond dealer that has a lot of colored diamonds and he had a chameleon diamond. And I don't know if you know what that is. But I know it means what it is, they, but I've never seen one. I've seen it and it is incredible. So they put it in a black parcel paper and they put it in the safe. And so when you open it, it turns from green to yellow. Amazing. And, and I saw that in front of my eyes and it was like, this is, this is a miracle. It is so cool. And it, it's absolutely fantastic. So, yeah. but a blue diamond would not be bad either. I have to no. say. No, no. And that's also the Asha color, right? Like the ace color is blue. Yeah. So yeah. Last question. And uh, most of our guests are now from Holland, definitely from Amsterdam. And Mike and you are the only one. So have you been there? Duh. What's your favorite either memory or location that you recommend the visitors that come to our hometown that they must visit, which is not on TripAdvisor? Yeah. I, I think that the thing I love the most is Amsterdam from the water. So there's the way to do it as a real tourist in going into one of these canal boats, which is not a bad thing because you get to see a lot of stuff. And it's just beautiful and you get some people telling you what it is. The other option is to literally just rent a little stupid little motorboat, you know, one of those little ones, bring a bottle of rosé on a beautiful day and just go on your own. And it's the best, it's the best. And it's so much fun and people are on the water all the time and, you know, and then there's the other side, which is skating in the canals of Amsterdam. I mean, you don't, we don't get to do it very often, but when we do, it is amazing. And we used to live on a canal when we grew up. Um, you probably remember the Herman Heijermansweg. And the canal had a dead end at the end of it because there was the convention center. And so these canals were one of the, that canal was one of the first that would freeze up because there's no boats going through. And we would, you know, had the light on the house, we would go up and then we would play ice hockey all evening. And it was great, great, great memory. Yeah. So, I love that. Yeah. So, so she means ice skating. So literally yeah. when it's cold enough, Lita means you can go on the canals in the city center and skate on the canal. So that's amazing. But the global warming doesn't help, but we'll have more extreme weather <laughs> coming. So, Maybe it's getting yeah. colder and hotter at the same time. Huh? Yeah. yeah. So look at this picture. Dallas yeah. kicking it up on the screen. It's amazing. Yeah, I love that as well. But I love the canals. And I tell people, even if you don't want to rent a motorbike, just use a pedal boat, right? So cycle That's on the fun too. That's yeah. Fun. Yeah. So But you don't get very fun. far. <laughs> yeah, amazing. All right, Lita, thank you so much for sharing. That's uh, awesome to have an insight uh, into your brain. Um, what I wanted to ask you is a lot of people get confused that people that know Asha from back in the day know you guys are diamond manufacturers means rough you polish them into whatever shape many decades patented so you're a brand you're a diamond brand when did you guys start making branded jewelry as well so you were speaking about that it's not always clear to people so you guys nowadays are more of a jewelry brand some special relations like us can buy loose diamonds and create our own jewels or we make collabs i call them the triple a jewels asher ace amsterdam and it's not the car service <laughs> so um yeah. but when did you guys really started focusing on making high-end fine jewelry 
branded jewels? Um, I think it was when I started here, so about 18 years ago. Um, when I joined the business, the, um, you know, we, we made our Royal Archer cut diamond and we made a lot of generic cut diamonds and we would supply them, as you say, loose to our retailers. And, and when I came in, I said, you know, I've never met a woman that will put a loose diamond, put it on her hands and says, fine, I'll take it. And this was, of course, long before uh, we all got excited about creating our own rings and, and being part of that process, which today, of course, is very uh, much happening. Um, and so that's when we, for the first time, created our own bridal line. Um, and since then, we've sort of further developed how we work uh, with retailers. So for example, there's um, Jared in America, there's Beaver Books in the UK that we've made uh, and designed exclusive collections for, mm -hmm. uh, and, and we create them specifically for them. And then we still love to work with retailers like yourself that are capable of making beautiful jewelry, uh, but not all retailers can or want to do that, right? And so um, we've created uh, collections that are sort of focused on different areas in the world. So you'll see that on our website as well, that there's a, there's a difference in between rings that are very uh, contemporary and modern to much more traditional style rings to things with a halo that are very uh, uh, tight lines and very European to very uh, delicate. And, and, you know, so it, it, I think it showcases the different tastes in the world and how we try to be uh, able to give everybody uh, what they're looking for. Um, and well, I think- I want to interrupt you one sec, Lita. Yeah, go ahead. Can you educate us a bit more about Halo? This is very popular in the US, North America. Europe was lagging even for decades. Only now recently, Halo rings, which you mentioned, is where there is a center diamond and then it's accented with smaller diamonds around it. That's why I call halos. And often yeah. the band is set as well, but not mandatory. So yeah. do you see a trend there? I don't think it's a trend. I think it is something that has been there forever and will never go away. Yeah, In Europe, it, it's less of a in thing. In America, it, it's been the number one selling piece. Um, and of course, it's also, it has to do with it makes the ring look bigger, right? The stone mm -hmm. look bigger. Um, so it gives you a little bit extra. This is a double halo. Mm -hmm. um, and what I love about certain halos um, is that they have like this one, the first halo around the center stone is set a little bit underneath the stone. So mm -hmm. it brings the stone up. So the, the stone is, is the center of attention, but it still gives you some extra sparkle around it. And then there's a larger one um, so this is more um, more of a fashionable ring. Uh, what you see in Europe is that um, that solitaires or with diamonds on the shank is much more normal. Um, it's more classic, you know. It's it's great forever, right? And um, I think halos uh, are becoming the classic as well, um, and they're very very common. Um, but you are right. I think it's a more American focused style. Although I think um, if you look at all the, the big brands as well, everybody has them, right? Tiffany has them, Harry Winston has them, mm -hmm. Cartier has them. Like it's not something that will go away. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's not something 
just for now, it will stay forever. And as we say in the industry, getting tired of these halos, right? Because there's another halo. Uh, but people love them and they are gorgeous and they are pretty. It's just that, you know, you sometimes want to see new things and new designs and something really unique. Uh, but then again, when you buy a diamond ring, you want to have it forever. So you want something that is classic and beautiful and yeah. stays that way. Yeah. Nice. So on topic, you mentioned something very important. You never met a woman who comes into a jeweler, sees a loose diamond, and says, I want that made into ring. That's typical engagement business. That's what I call it. So often the man comes in, guided by his to-be fiancé or her girlfriends or her mother or her sister. Um, maybe I'm happy that we have a female perspective on the ace list, finally, is let's do a ping pong. Give us tips what men should buy anniversary wedding gift you mentioned the push present some women don't like like that comment so we call that a uh, gift of birth that needs to be encrusted in diamonds um anniversaries birthdays holiday seasons christmas etc give me some things what's the most popular earrings necklaces bracelets etc so yeah. let's do engagement what should men buy in 2020, what do you advise for our viewers? Yeah, I think I think engagement is what what I just said. I think you should focus on the center stone. I think it should be beautiful. Don't focus too much on the setting because she might like it, she might not like it. You know, if you want to be not sure that you buy something she likes, go on a Pinterest board. You might think she's never thought about it, but she has. Mm -hmm. So there's a board over there that will show you exactly what she wants. Um, and if not, ask her girlfriends or her mother uh, for sure. Um, but I would put all my effort in the um, center stone. Yeah. And, uh, because that's the one you're going to keep forever. She might change her mind in rose gold or yellow gold or, or that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Um, when it comes to the wedding day, um, you know, in America, it's very normal to have an engagement ring on your first, which is sort of the center stone with the with the band, and then you have an additional wedding band on the wedding day, and they can be just a really beautiful pavé set, uh, thin ring. They can be all eternity bands all the way around. They can be small. They can be big. They can be all kinds of shapes. Um, I love the Royal Ashokat Eternity Band, the, the the bigger one with the 30 and 40 pointers all the way around. Um, I think that's an incredible anniversary gift. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you're married for five or 10 years and you have the chance to give something like that, it's amazing. Um, things like rose gold, uh, additional bands when you have a baby girl or blue sapphire uh, bands when you have a boy are really nice as, I think they're push gifts because we work very hard on that day. You do, you do, you do. I <laughs> so concur. That's the one gift we really, really deserve. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's not such a cute word, but it's true. <laughs> uh, so I think those are very nice. I think um, Christmas and, and holiday gifts, uh, earrings, pendants, and bracelets, always good. Same for birthdays. Uh, big birthdays can be special rings. Um, and I think you can never go wrong. And I, I know I, I sell diamonds for a living, but you can never go wrong with classics. Studs, mm -hmm. simple pendant, mm -hmm. something that she can have forever. 
because we all want those things and we all are happy when we get them. You know, you don't have to think about if you have these gorgeous stud earrings, like, is she going to like the, the model of the, of the earring, right? No, you know, she does. Um, so I think those are good tips to do. And, and I say quality over quantity. Um, and what I mean with that is that I would prefer, um, not as much a better clarity, although we don't go further than an SI one because I don't want it to be eye visible. So I'm against anything that is black inclusion to, that you can see, but anything about that is, is great. Um, I like quality over quantity, meaning I would prefer a beautifully cut stone over a very large and not so pretty stone. Um, I have a good story about that. I had um, a customer in New York who said, I have this client and they're looking at this nine carat stone on Madison Avenue, one of the larger retailers, I'm not gonna call name, and they're about to buy it, uh, but they want your advice. And I said, okay, all right. Being a real salesperson, I was like, I don't want them to buy there, I want to buy, sell them one for me. Um, but I said to them, I said, listen, you know, even if I don't sell you anything, I wanna look at the certificate to see if I can help you uh, advise you if it's the right cert and then you know of course you have to see the stone as i said earlier it turned out to be a really shallow stone you know with a large table and i said oh gosh explain got, why that's a bad thing <coughs> i'm sorry because if a stone is cut properly and i yep. should draw it oh no here's maybe a good let's see if if a stone is cut well no i can't find it the light goes in and out and out and it goes like this and this and this so you have the perfect light return if it's shallow then the light doesn't go like this it, it goes like this and it's gone and so you have nothing left anymore to look at except the piece of glass that's what comes down and that's the symmetry i was pointing at that's yeah. the most important thing yeah okay. all right so it was shallow and then what did you say to them and did they do it? No, they didn't do it. I said, they're going to hang the flag if you sell, buy this stone. They're going to be so happy that they lost this stone. And I I, I don't know. I, I think it's so important to buy something that is true value and that is worth what you pay for and that you're going to love forever. Um, so that's my advice. Yeah. Thank you. Amazing. I love the female perspective on this. So... We're chatting and I can chat for hours with you like we always do. I see we're already 47 minutes online. I usually want to cap it off at one hour. We have many questions. I have one thing that I, I think is very important to discuss before we move to the questions. So I'll turn on the ticker for our viewers to push their questions to us and then we'll accumulate them and deal with them in a bit. Um, I know you guys are early adapters on the side of uh, uh, ethical side of the business, responsible jewelry council, charity. Your dad is now the second time president of the World Diamond Council. We discussed that with Mike. Um, very important diamond education. You specifically, I know, linked you, the launch of the Stars Collection to an amazing project in Sierra Leone. Please tell us a bit about that. Sure. Um, so when I moved to New York, um, you know, everybody was talking about the movie Blood Diamonds. And I um, thought, you know, the, the movie was based on something that happened in Sierra Leone. 
many years before that. Um, and I thought instead of saying, oh, it wasn't me because it was 20 years ago and oh, it's not there anymore and all that great stuff. I was like, I would like to see with my own eyes what Sierra Leone looks like today and what as a family we can still do. And so I found this amazing NGO, um, World Vision, and together with them, I traveled to Sierra Leone to really see with my own eyes what was going on. And even though it had been years after the, the war there where diamonds were traded for um, uh, guns, um, there was still poverty. There's still children working in the diamond mines, uh, the alluvium mines. And, you know, that was a little shocking uh, when I was there. And um, I started conversation with these kids and I found out that they weren't sad at all to be working there. They were actually really happy because it meant that they could make some money and either have a brother or sister go to school, you know, or have food on the table. Um, and so uh, I realized that what these kids didn't have was the opportunity to go to school. And I think that's the biggest thing that we sometimes mistake uh, make a mistake about is that we are like, oh, there shouldn't be any child labor. No, of course there shouldn't be child labor. But there's a reason why this happens, right? And so I wanted to sort of help with getting that out of out of the way. And, and that sounds a little big, but um, that year we got 250 children sponsored with health care, education and food. And it meant that they could go to school and they could make their own decisions about whether they wanted to live and work in the diamond industry or not. And, you know, I think we are all... Uh, we live in a world where we we think we know it all, but we really don't because most of these kids and these people were happier than most people I know here. Uh, and I had an amazing trip there and I still um, uh, have contact with them. And um, anyway, that was for me the trigger to sort of uh, start the Stars of Africa initiative um, mm -hmm. that each ring that we sell, uh, $50 goes to the Royal Usher Foundation. Uh, and that foundation now has uh, evolved in something that is giving back to more than one charity because we, Mike and I, both have passions and we, we pick new things every time. Um, it's not huge, but it is something we can do and it is something we're passionate about. Mike has this amazing project in Japan uh, for children that were affected there with the big uh, disaster, the nuclear disaster. Um, you know, I work with this new project uh, for women and children. Um, and I think that as a, as a human being and as a family business, um, there's always a way to do good in the world and to make a little little contribution and then of every course a little bit helps so yeah and then on the business side you know i think that um ethical uh, uh responsible sourcing and and how you work is number one in our industry and and we've been raised by all these generations uh that that's the first thing you should look at if everybody in the chain from mining to polishing to the jewelers etc makes a decent living, works under the right circumstances. We visit our uh, factories that we work with that make jewelry in China or in India. You know, we go there, we look at it, we see it. And then you have the responsible jewelry council, of course, that sets um, parameters and you get audited by them. So I think we could be, and we should be very proud on our industry. Um, and I'm part of the board of the Diamonds Do Good uh, Foundation uh formerly known as 
Diamond Empowerment Foundation, but it's now Diamonds Do Good. And they have this incredible website, which everybody should have a look at, that shows what all companies, not all, but almost all companies that do good have their stories here. So if you go down a little bit on this website, you will read all these stories and they're truly amazing. And I think we don't do a good job at telling the world what we do because we don't talk about it, but there are amazing uh, stories here from everywhere in the world. So from China to Denmark, to America, to Africa, like they're all here. Um, and uh, so it's worth a visit. And uh, I'm part of the board, and it's it's a great organization. It really is. Compliments, very good, and it's very good that you do that. And for those that missed the episode with Mike, uh, you are like him and me, a member of the Young Diamanteras uh, movement, and uh, they also all of us try to do That's good PR good. for the industry, for the future of the diamond industry, but also do a lot of charity and projects. So so I invite all the viewers also to check out that website. By heart, it's ydts.org. Um, so this is a lot of, little shout out to the Young Diamanteras group. Um, so we let's let's quickly jump. I, I can speak for hours with you, but let's go to a few comments um, that came in. Um, these are uh, the Watch for Crew are uh, passionate. Um, watch fans, but I know that they love diamonds as well. So thank you for joining us, guys. Um, one question that was shot to us on Instagram because uh, Jennifer could not join us live. She asks, what is your design process? So how do you start your yeah. process? Do you do everything by hand? Do you do everything digitally? Do you use both tools? So what I do is I work with a group of designers um, in different parts of the world, one in America, one in Italy, one in Japan. And um, the reason for that is because these countries have different um, design uh, aspects that they love. And an uh, example is in America, they like the settings high. In Holland, we like them low. In Japan, we, we like them smaller stones. We like different kind of rings. So I think it's always very important to understand what area you're creating things for. Um, and um, I, I made my own designs in the beginning and then I really uh, quickly realized that there's people in the world that are much better than I am. Uh, and as a woman, I think we all think that we are incredible jewelry designers, uh, but the reality is there are some really good ones. Uh, and uh, so the design process for me is working with these designers and then they will come up first with sketches, uh, which literally is with uh, drawn, um, old fashioned way. And then from these sketches, we start uh, changing things that we like or we don't like. Um, and then from that, we often make silver samples. Uh, so then it, you can really touch and feel it. And then we look at if we like it and if we love it, then we push it forward. Um, what at Royal Usher we are very passionate about is that it's all about the center stone. So we don't design, uh, we don't buy a dress and then put some jewelry on it. No, we, we buy the jewelry and then we look for a dress that fits it. And that's how we look at our design process as well. We really make sure that the, the, the diamond shines as much as it should be. That's the, the center of attention. It's amazing. Thank you. Lita, I have so many more questions myself. I have a lot of questions in the pipeline. 
I would love to do another session maybe with Mike and you together. Maybe your dad would love to join as well. Um, I think we should leave it at this for now. I'm super grateful that you took the time to sit with me, to talk. Sure. I love the passion. I love the energy. Thank uh, you for having me. Thank you. So I know you're watching next week because next week we have another fabulous woman on the show. It's Laura Bichego. She's the founder and designer of Nanis Jewels. Totally different jewels, very Italian, matte finish. It's actually the opposite world of Asher. So definitely make sure to tune in. Um, and a little thank you to our friends of the Conservatorium Hotel for making it possible for me to sit here. And uh, thank you for all our viewers for taking the time and to watch the live stream. And if you missed the live stream, we're hosting this as a podcast for audio only if you can't watch. And on YouTube and Facebook, you can re-watch it. Thank you, Nita. Thank you. See you soon. See you soon. Bye. Peter. Bye. Bye. Bye.